Chapter 14 of Marjorie Dean, High School Sophomore by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 14 The Common Fate of Reformers. Nevertheless, the session behind closed doors had one beneficial effect. It broke the ice that had lately formed over the long comradeship of the two girls, and although nothing was as of old, they were both secretly relieved to still be on terms of conversation. Out of pure regard for Mary, Marjorie treated her exactly as she had always done, and Mary pretended to respond, simply because she had determined that Mr. and Mrs. Dean should not become aware of any difference in their relations. She affected an interest in planning for the party, and kept up a pretty show of concern which Marjorie alone knew to be false. Privately, Mary's deceitful attitude was a sore trial to her. Honest to the core, she felt that she would rather her chum had maintained open hostility than a farce of goodwill which was dropped the moment they chanced to be alone. Still, she resolved to bear it and look forward to a happier day when Mary would relent. The invitations to the party had been mailed and duly accepted. Much to Mary's secret surprise and chagrin, Mignon had not declined to shed the light of her countenance upon the proposed festivity, but had written a formal note of acceptance which amused Marjorie considerably, inasmuch as the acceptances of the others had been verbal. Despite her hatred for Marjorie Dean and her friends, Mignon had resolved to profit by the sudden show of friendliness which, true to their compact, the five girls had lost no time in carrying out. Ignoble of soul, she did not value the favour of these girls as a concession which she had been fortunate to receive. She decided to use it only as a wedge to reinstate herself in a certain leadership which her bad behaviour of last year had lost her. She had no idea of the real reason for their interest in her. She preferred to think that they had come to a realisation of her vast importance in the social life of Sanford. Was not her father the richest man in town? She had an idea that perhaps Mary Raymond might be responsible for her sudden accession to favour. She had taken care to impress her own importance upon Mary's mind, together with certain vague insinuations as to her wrongs. After her first brief outburst against Marjorie and Constance Stevens, she had decided that she would gain infinitely more by playing the part of wronged innocence. When she received her invitation, she had already heard that Constance was in New York and likely to remain there for a time. This influenced her to accept Marjorie's hospitality. Her own consciousness of guilt would not permit her to go to any place where she would meet the accusing scorn of Constance's blue eyes. Then, too, she had still another motive in attending the party. She had always looked upon Lawrence Armitage with eyes of favour. He had never paid her a great deal of attention. But he had shown her less since the advent of Constance Stevens in Sanford. 
she resolved to show him that she was far more clever and likable than the quiet girl who had taken such a strong hold on his boyish interest. And with that end in view, Mignon planned to make her reinstatement a sweeping success. Friday afternoon was a lost session, so far as study went, to the Sanford girls who were to make up the feminine portion of Marjorie's party. "'Good gracious, I thought half-past three would never come,' grumbled Jerry Macy in Marjorie's ear as they filed decorously through the corridor. "'Let's make a quick dash for the locker room. I've a pressing engagement with the hairdresser, and I'm dying to get through with it and sweep down to dinner in my new silver net party dress. It's a dream and makes me look positively thin. You won't know me when you see me.' "'You're not the only one,' put in Muriel Harding. "'You won't be one, two, three when I appear tonight in all my glory.' "'Listen to the conceited things,' laughed Irma Linton. "'I won't speak of myself, as H.C. Anderson beautifully puts it.' "'Who's he?' demanded Jerry. "'I know every boy in Sanford High, but I never heard of him.' A shout of laughter greeted her earnest assertion. "'Wake up, Jerry,' dimpled Susan Atwell. "'H.C. stands for Hans Christian. "'Now does the light begin to break?' "'Oh, you make me tired,' retorted Jerry. "'Irma did that on purpose. "'That's worse than my favourite trap about letting it rain in Spain. "'How was I to know what she meant?' "'That's all because you don't cultivate literary tastes,' teased Muriel. "'I do cultivate them,' grinned Jerry. "'I've read the dictionary through twice, without skipping a page.' "'It must have been a pocket edition,' murmured Marjorie. "'Stop teasing me, or I'll get cross and not come to your party,' threatened Jerry. "'You mean nothing could keep you away,' laughed Irma. "'You're right. Nothing could. I'll be there, clad in costly raiment, to spur the reform party on to deeds of might.' "'Do come early, all of you,' urged Marjorie, as she paused at her corner to say good-bye. "'We'll be there,' chorused the quartet after her. "'I hope everyone will have a nice time,' was Marjorie's fervent reflection as she hurried on her way. I do wish Mary would walk home with me once in a while instead of always waiting for Mignon. I wouldn't ask her to for worlds, though. To see Mary walk away with Mignon at the end of every session of school had been a heavy cross for Marjorie to bear. Surrounded as she always was with the four faithful members of her own little set, she was often lonely. If only Constance had been in school, she could have better borne Mary's disloyalty, although the latter could not quite fill the niche which years of companionship had carved in her heart for Mary. But Connie was far away, so she must go on enduring this bitter sorrow and make no outward sign. Usually ready to bubble over with exhilaration when on the eve of participating in so delightful an occasion as a party, it was a very quiet Marjorie who tripped into the living room that afternoon. 
the big cosy apartment had undergone a marked change it was practically bare save for the piano in one corner which had been moved from the drawing-room and a phonograph which was to do occasional duty so that the patient musicians might now and then rest from their labour Mrs. Dean was giving a last direction to the men who had been hired to move the furniture about as Marjorie entered. "'Everything is ready, Lieutenant,' smiled her mother. "'We have all done a strenuous day's work in a good cause.' "'Thank you over and over again, Captain. It's dear in you to take so much trouble for me. I'm afraid you've worked too hard.' Her lately pensive mood vanishing as she viewed the newly waxed floor, Marjorie executed a gay little pasoule on its smooth surface and made a running slide toward her mother, striking against her with considerable force. "'Steady, Lieutenant,' her mother passed an arm about her and gave her a loving little squeeze. "'Please have proper respect for the aged.' "'There are no such persons here.' retorted marjorie i see a young and beautiful lady who must go straight to the kitchen and see what delia is doing in the way of dinner finished mrs dean remember we are to have it at half past five tonight so don't wander away and be late your frock is laid out on your bed dear you had better run along and dress before dinner then you will be ready the time will fairly fly afterward where is mary why doesn't she come home with you in the afternoon? For the past week she has come in long after school is out. Oh, she stops to talk and walk with Mignon, replied Marjorie with an air of elaborate carelessness. They are very good friends. Mrs. Dean seemed about to comment further on the subject when Delia appeared in the doorway and distracted her attention to other matters. Marjorie breathed a sigh of relief as she went upstairs. She was glad to escape the further questions concerning Mary which her mother seemed disposed to ask. Her gaiety had been evanescent and she now experienced a feeling of positive gloom as she entered her pretty room and prepared to bathe and dress for the evening. She could not resist a thrill of pleasure at the sheer beauty of the white chiffon frock spread out on her bed. She wondered if Mary would wear her pale blue silk evening frock or the white one with the lace-over frock. They were both beautiful, but she had always loved Mary in white. She wondered if she dared ask her to wear the white lace gown. While she was dressing, through her half-opened door, she heard Mary's voice in the hall in conversation with her mother. Hastily slipping into her pretty frock, she went to the door, hooking it as she walked. Mary was just appearing on the landing. "'Oh, Mary,' she called genially, "'do wear your white. You will look so lovely in it.' "'I'm going to wear my blue gown,' returned Mary stolidly and marched on down the hall to her room, closing the door with a bang. "'Just as though I'd let her dictate to me what to wear,' she muttered. The two young girls made a pretty picture as they took their places at the dinner-table. "'I wish General were here to see you,' sighed Mrs. Dean. Mr. Dean had been called away on a business trip east. "'So do I,' 
echoed Marjorie. Things won't be quite perfect without him. Neither girl ate much dinner. They were far too highly excited to do justice to the meal. In spite of their estrangement, they were both looking forward to the dance. At half-past seven o'clock, Jerry and the rest of the reform party arrived, buzzing like a hive of bees. "'Is she here yet?' whispered Jerry Macy in Marjorie's ear after paying her respects to Mrs. Dean and Mary, who, with Marjorie, received their guests in the palm-decorated hall. "'No, she hasn't come. I suppose she will arrive late. You know she loves to make a sensation.' Marjorie could not resist this one little fling, despite her good resolutions." The guests continued to arrive in twos and threes, and Marjorie was kept busy greeting them. True to her prediction, it was after eight o'clock when Mignon appeared. She wore an imported gown of peach-blow satin that must have been a considerable item of expense to her doting father. Her elfish face glowed with suppressed excitement and her black eyes roved about, with lightning glances born of a curiosity to inspect every detail of her unfamiliar surroundings. "'I am glad you came,' greeted Marjorie graciously and presented Mignon to her mother. The French girl acknowledged the introduction, then, turning to Mary, began an eager, low-toned conversation, apparently forgetting her hostess. Mrs. Dean betrayed no sign of what went on in her mind, but her thoughts on the subject of Mignon were not flattering. Ill-bred, she mentally styled her, and decided that she would look into the matter of her growing friendship with Mary. The dancing had already begun when, piloted by Mary, who had apparently forgotten that she was of the receiving party, the two girls strolled into the impromptu ballroom. Mary was immediately claimed as a partner by Lawrence Armitage, who tried to console himself with the thought that, at least, she looked like Constance. Mignon's face darkened as they danced off. Laurie had merely bowed to her but he had asked Mary to dance. That was because she resembled that odious Stevens girl. Her resentment against Constance blazed forth afresh. She hoped Constance would never return to Sanford. Thanks to a long lecture which Jerry had read to her brother Hal, Mignon was not neglected. Although none of the Western high boys really liked her, she was asked to dance almost every number. Later in the evening, Lawrence Armitage asked her for a one-step, and she vainly imagined that, after all, she had made an impression on him. Radiant with triumph over her social success, Mignon saw herself firmly entrenched in the leadership she dreamed would be hers. But her triumph was to be short-lived. After supper, which was served at two long tables in the dining-room, the guests returned to their dancing with the tireless ardour of first youth. Chancing to be without a partner, Mignon slipped into a palm-screened nook under the stairs for a chat with Mary, who had followed her about all evening, more with a view of hurting Marjorie than from an excess of devotion. From their position they could see all that went on about them, yet be quite hidden from the unobservant. 
The unobservant happened to be Marjorie and Jerry Macy, who had come from the ballroom for a confidential talk and taken up their station directly in front of the alcove. Save for the two girls behind the palms, the hall was deserted. "'Well, I guess Mignon's having a good time,' declared Jerry Macy in her brisk, loud tones. "'She ought to. I nearly talked myself hoarse to Hal before he had promised to see that the boys asked her to dance. This reform business is no joke.' "'Lower your voice, Jerry,' warned Marjorie. "'Someone might hear you.' Mary Raymond made a sudden movement to rise. Stubborn she might be, but she was not so dishonourable as to listen to a conversation not intended for her ears. Mignon pulled her back with sudden savage strength. She laid her finger to her lips, her black eyes gleaming with anger. "'Oh, there's no one around. Say, Marjorie, do you think it's really worth while to go out of our way to reform Mignon? Look at her tonight.' You'd think she had conquered the universe. She was all smiles when Laurie Armitage asked her to dance. He can't bear her. He told me so last Halloween, after she made all that fuss about her old bracelet. If we hadn't banded ourselves together to find that better self, which you are so sure she's carrying around with her, I'd say call it off and forget it. None of us really likes her. You know that, even if you won't say it, she is... The waltz time ended in a soft chord and the dancers began trooping through the doorway to the big punch bowl of lemonade in one corner of the hall. They were just in time to see a lithe figure in pink spring out, cat-like, from behind the palm-screened alcove and hear a furious voice cry out, How dare you insult a guest by talking about her the moment her back is turned! End of chapter 14 Recording by Ashley Jane